You're listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate Lisa Leitner. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. Now back to the show with your host, Lisa. I'm Lisa Leitner, and welcome to part two of the interview with Maria. Sometimes when these podcasts get a little bit long and get into the interviews and people like us, we can talk about this stuff all day long. But when it starts to get a little bit long, we divide it into two episodes. So that's what we've done here. So enjoy part two and enjoy the rest of your day. Anything that we reference will be in the show notes, or you can always look on adayinourshoes.com. You touched on a little bit, you mentioned the word permissive parenting, things like that. So, I mean, let's, let's just get it out there. Right. Like, so what you said, like, I'm all in, I've been doing this long enough that I know that like, it's a thing and, you know, like it's real and there's the science and the data behind it, mm-hmm. that this is where, I mean, this is just where I think society's headed. Right. Like, cause we're, cause we are going to follow the science. Like yeah. it's just, yeah. that's, that's what we do. Yeah. But there's still those anchors behind us. You know, I think of it like almost like a tug of war pulling back saying, no, they just need to listen. And this is this is hippie stuff. And this is Mm -hmm. touchy feely, you know, permissive parenting. So what what do you want to say to that? Or what could you say to to those who and even maybe some tips if for like, let's take, for example, the mom who is struggling with all the things that you mentioned, right? She's having these constant battles with her kid and she's just kind of at her wits end and thinks, Oh, let me try this speaks with her spouse. And he's like, eh, you don't need that. It's, he just needs to listen. He just needs to, fo-. you know, I think of, you know, the 1950s or even maybe the 1980s or nineties, you know, you smack the kid up the side of the head who has ADHD and say, pay attention. Yeah. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, if only it were that simple, right? Right. <laughs> like, right. Just, right, right. And isn't that terrible? But yes, yes. It's hard. And and I do see that a lot. I do work with a lot of mothers who love their husbands and they don't come in and badmouth, but they say, this is, we're struggling in our relationship and I am having a hard time conveying, like, he's not buying into this. And, and it's just a challenge. I think it's really the same answer. It's not giving up but chipping away at it little by little. And my hope is that the more I educate the moms and they can start to sprinkle, you know, tidbits into conversation with their spouses or partners or, and also maybe demonstrate, like get a better result right in front of their partner who might, it might click a little bit like, oh, she did, it did, it did take an extra 10 minutes but because she sat down and showed that she actually showed some compassion and he still put on his shoes, but nobody was screaming. He got, he was calmer faster than, you know, when I yell and that again, that's going to take time. But I think that seeing it, if the mother can start modeling it, hopefully dad will pick up on it. And a lot of the moms will say, Oh, he needs to come see you. (laughs) He needs to come talk to you. And the most recent thing I've done is create a hybrid program of parent-child, like a parent-child six-week session, which still is mostly moms and they can join exceptional moms for like four, you know, they get four sessions and then the child, I work with the child in a small group for six sessions, but some moms are saying, well, could we do a separate session outside of exceptional moms and my husband will come. So I'm just starting to do those kind of things. So, you know, I think it's, again, it's a challenge. It's an uphill battle, but my hope is the more people that are educated, it will start to spill over a little bit. 
And if, if I get to work with people directly, I'm hoping that I can, you know, get buy-in. But I think the data too, you can't argue with data and science. And this is where the science is, is leading us. It, it is. It is. So speaking of, you are speaking at a conference next next month already. God, February is already next month. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> so tell us about that. Yes. It's a PESI workshop online. It's a self-regulation workshop for professionals or parents in regards to working with children who have ADHD, autism, anxiety within the self-regulation realm. It'll have a lot of you know, good information and science and strategies packed in there. So that's on February 9th. It's virtual. And you can, if you were interested in it, you can find it on the PESI website. PESI is, for people who don't know? It's the, it's a continuing education organization. They have everything from nurses to psychologists, to counselors, to therapists, constantly doing workshops and educating other professionals on a myriad of clinical and educational topics. I've just witnessed over the years, it's and it's heartbreaking, the, the kids who cannot, who need emotional regulation skills, like especially the older ones, like it's so socially ostracizing for them. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants to be friends with the eighth grader who cries in the right. middle of class. Like yeah. it's just, yeah, that's, you know, good, bad, otherwise, that's just where we are. Like that's just, and, and my heart just breaks for them because they don't want to be doing that, you know, but they just, they can't, they can't, you know, and, and keeping in mind that it's not always just negative emotions. I've had older kids who are like way too happy at things and they're like, oh, he's acting like a baby. Like, why is he so excited about this? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. And again, it's that socially ostracizing piece that nobody wants to be friends with them because of that. And right. Especially if they're mixed in, you know, regular education classes with some special ed and they're on the more immature side emotionally. And I think, and that's when same thing as parents, teachers, which I know are also very overwhelmed, but if you have a kid like that in your class, try, you know, everything is about consciousness and awareness, right? If you become aware, we can't change anything until we become aware of it. So being intentional about noticing, oh, could I take two minutes and try to help this kid? Like, who's the nicest kid in the class? Who's willing to maybe pair up with him and play cards? Something like that. If, if, If educators would take that extra step when they can, that would be so helpful. Just like, parents when they can, even when they're tired and overwhelmed, take the extra step to ask for a play date or look into an activity. I think that's, that's what we, the best we can do for those kids who are in those situations. And then I would say also to the parents back to the start to let, if you're really hung up on my kid isn't fitting in to normalcy or the regular quote unquote social climate really then when you do take that extra step, that's when you want to try to find a kid like yours. Because then if they're not, if they're still sort of on the outside at school, if they're at least getting that connection somehow, some way with a kid who's also, even if they're, and they're not, you know, I don't mean to be funny, but crying together, but you know what I mean? Birds of a feather flock together and it feels that's good. If that's the way that kid needs to relate to somebody, somebody that's like him or her, then they should have that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have, I have one child who is neurotypical and one who is not. 
And those are the kinds of conversations I try to have with him in the car. Like he'll relay a story to me and there's all kinds of bells and whistles going off. Cause I'm like, Oh, I know what's going on here. Like, you know, cause I've had, I've had those kids as clients and trying yeah. to probe that. Well, what did you do? And how did you react? And did you maybe try to, you know, if he doesn't have any friends, did you try, you know, and it's yeah. hard, it's hard. Cause I oh, no, I'm not sitting with him at lunch. And I'm like, but yeah. Know. Yeah. You don't it necessarily is. have to sit with him at lunch, but maybe you could sit with it, you know, and, and now he's in high school, but you know, you don't yeah. have to sit with him at lunch, but maybe you could sit with him, sit next to him on the floor at circle time, you know, because others will follow your lead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I would say it, it, some, it's so worth it to keep having those conversations because in the moment our kids might say, no, I'm not doing that. And I don't care. But what you're saying is sinking in and it's more likely that they may actually take your advice even though it doesn't sound like it. So don't give up and keep having those conversations. And if you're a parent listening and you haven't been talking about this stuff, but it's a concern, start talking about it. And even if they seem very reluctant, just keep chipping away at it and, yeah. and giving little examples and, and helping them gain some insight into what's going on in yeah. these interactions. I mean, I love car talks more than I mean, we're at the point now it's where the time, right? <laughs> I know it is, you know, and a lot of parents complain about, oh, I have to drive him here and drive him there and everything. I'm like, I love this time. Like, I'm, I mean, we're at the point now where we're looking at he's going to be driving himself soon. And yes, that will be a relief to not have to go out in the cold, dark night and, yeah. <laughs> and all yeah. that. But, but at the yeah. same time, like those, those, that car time is so valuable. Yeah, it is. And it's teenagers and older kids are harder to connect to neurodivergent neurotypical right it's like they get to that age and i don't think my 15 year old has told me how he feels in quite some time even though i'm always asking he's like i know you know but i'm fine <laughs> yes but back to the how, why the co-regulation works i didn't use even though i've been in ot for years i wasn't thinking about this thinking about parenting from that perspective either right? until the last, you know, few years or so. I was so focused myself at, on the kids I was working with, right? And, and consulting with parents here and there, but not thinking about that, the way we show up and not just the calm, but that little bit of compassion where you're still saying, hey, I expect this of you, yeah. or I would like to see this, but you're a good kid. And I, I see you and I... They feel like it's, you know, if we're always like, you didn't do this and you didn't, and it comes from fear. It comes from love, right? right. It's, it's, it's us worrying, but it comes across as you didn't do this. You didn't do that. I think the statistic on an ADHD kid being corrected or told they did something wrong. It's, I forget the number, but it's really high. It's crazy. Really high. High. Yeah. Crazy high, like a certain amount of times a day. So to make them feel like you are a good kid and be pointing out the positives while we're helping them learn and grow is so important too. And that's all part of uh, co-regulation. And I've seen that with my son because I try to work on my fear and uh, okay, you, you missed this assignment and you lost this again because he's got the ADHD. <laughs> but I'm now like, hey, I, you know, I try to really build him up and our kids need that. Right. So I just see, you know, as to why should people buy into this? If you try it, Give it a try. And and doesn't mean, again, you'd have to get rid of all your rules, but try looking at your kid as a human being and take your fear away and just see them and encourage them maybe the way you would encourage somebody else's kid. Because it's often easier 
because we're not so emotionally tied in, which comes back to the fear. So I just think I see my son opening up. I see him, you know, not all the time, but I see positive changes in our interactions from changing my way of relating to him. Yeah, it definitely, yeah, it definitely, it, it does work. And, and I know from personal experience that too often the skill sets or skill deficiencies, skill set deficiencies that are associated with ADHD are so often portrayed as character flaws rather yes. than, you yes. know, what it is, is just a skill set deficiency because my brain is wired different, you know? So that, that's a, that's a lot to, that's a very heavy burden to carry, you know, to think that I'm wrong and why can't I do this? Everybody around me is doing this. Why can't I do it? I must be bad. And, you know, yes, it's yes, a lot. yes, yes. That internal guilt and shame and the, and the being corrected all the time. So if that's what you're hearing from teachers and that's what you're hearing from your parents, even though your parents love you so much and actually they're really just worried, but all of the, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And you, you know, all of that, of course it's, it's going to pile on. And so, yeah, that's a big concern of mine too. In, in more recent years, just the shame, yeah. like everybody talks about, and the shame comes from the lack of executive functioning, but while we're making sure that kids are more organized and giving them visuals and all the compensatory techniques, we've got to be talking to them about you are a good kid and you are smart and you can succeed. Yes, it's harder. Yes, we have to put some different things in place than other kids might have to do, but you are capable. We have to, you know, I just think the shame component isn't talked about nearly enough and it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. We just had <laughs> the other day, it was the first day back after break. My son texted us. He had forgotten some sports stuff for after school. And he said, I forgot. Can you bring it to me? And it was like this, like, this is just, I guess, where we are. But like my husband and I had to have this whole conversation about, we know that if we don't take it to him, the coach is going to make him run laps or do push-ups or both or run suicides, you know, whatever that is. But we knew, like, we know that there's something there that you know, he's going to suffer the quote unquote consequences. He doesn't have yeah. ADHD or any executive functioning deficits that are visible. But we had to have this whole conversation of do we let him suffer the natural consequences or we just hop in the car and, and take it to him? And, and it was just like, you know what? He was just off school for almost two weeks and he's a good kid otherwise. And he's a straight A student. And yeah. it's yeah. the first day after break and he forgot his stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Right. So. And you're saying, and he doesn't have ADHD and you're like saying to yourself, why you almost thought about not to hurt him, but should we let him experience so right. he'll learn, right? So right. next time he won't forget. Right. But even with the ADHD kids, and like I said, I've gone through this with my son where I, I mean, I would still get frustrated, but like he's lost a basketball like 50 times. Like I keep buying them and he takes them to the park and he forgets them and loses them. So I'm trying to help him learn, but I'm trying, I used to, I think, speak to him in a way that was it's just more blaming than I wanted to sound. And that's something I noticed again, became aware of. And that's just one example, but I think it's okay. There's a fine line with ADHD kids with the bailing out. You can't expect regular results as far as like, you forgot your stuff again. Like right. it's a brain, you know, they're working memory. They're going to have challenges. Right. You should set up things to help them though. So you want them and then you can't also just enable them and always bail them out either. So right. It's a balancing act, but it is. yeah, for sure. Kids just sometimes need a break. They just yeah, need a break right. and they just need you, they just need you to make them feel good. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yep. Make them feel like they're great. Yep. Goes a long way. So 
and he's hard on himself too. So, which we forget that we forget that kids are like, we think we're the only ones who are hard on them. And many times in their own heads, they're way harder on them than themselves than we are. Oh yes. You know? Oh yes. Especially the kid, the perfectionists or if they have anxiety and they're straight A students and they feel they have already internally, the way they're wired is I have to be perfect or, you know, yeah. I really, really worry about those kids. So they especially need to be told it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for being here today. We're going to include it in the show notes, but quickly tell us where we can find you. My website, insyncandsocial.com, I-N hyphen S-Y-N-C-A-N-D in the word social. And everything, there's a contact form on there and all the services are listed. Okay. And you're on Facebook? Facebook and Instagram as well. And LinkedIn. And LinkedIn. Okay, great. And like I said, the the information for those of you listening will be included in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate, Lisa Leitner. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. From self-care tips to common IEP mistakes, there's even more to explore. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to never miss an episode. Until next time, don't IEP alone and you don't have to.